today's episode, we open up the Gospel of Mark yet again, this time to chapter 3, verses 7 through 35. As Jesus and his disciples withdraw near the Sea of Galilee, huge crowds follow them from all over. Jesus heals the sick, he casts out demons while reminding people not to make him known, for his time had not yet come. In our text for today, we'll also see where he appoints the twelve disciples, granting them authority to preach and cast out demons. Meanwhile, teachers of the law from Jerusalem accuse Jesus of working by the power of Satan rather than the Spirit of God. And Jesus warns his hearers against blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, October 25th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. We're live this morning, so feel free to call in with your comments or questions to 1-800-730-2727. You can also email them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com or send me a message on Facebook. I monitor those throughout the show. I can try to get your question or comment out on the air. But for now, let's welcome our guest for this morning, the Reverend Ben Manton. Maton, pardon me, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. Good morning, Pastor. Tell me how to pronounce your last name. You got it right with the second try there, uh, Maton is how we say Maton, Maton, good. Well, welcome. I know you are no stranger to KFUO, but this is the very first time I'm having you on the program since I've become host, uh, and that's been, you know, a little over a year now. So would you do me a favor and just share a little bit about yourself, the saints there at Emmanuel, and how God is using you? Yeah, well, I've uh, uh, been here in, in Charlottesville, well, been in Charlottesville since uh End of 2008, came from serving churches up in New England, did a little extra graduate work here at the University of Virginia. Go Wahoos, if there's any uh, Virginia alums mm-hmm. out there. Um, started pastoring here uh, again in, in 2012. So just celebrated a little over uh, a, a decade. It's a wonderful ministry, great people here. Um, it's uh, I grew up in the Midwest, you know, sometimes ministry for for Lutherans in, in my part of the country is a, is a little, little different than, than other parts, not quite as uh, as known. Like, you know, I grew up in suburbs of Detroit area, and, uh, you know, I think my I think my circuit there of the, the 10 churches or so was probably about a five-mile radius, and, you know, here it's about an 80-mile radius to find enough uh, Lutheran churches. So, uh, but it's wonderful work um, bringing the, the gems of our Lutheran faith of... Uh, of a word which does things, of a of a law which kills, and a gospel which which brings to life. Um, yeah, just been a been a great ministry here, blessing here, and uh, hope to be here for for a long time. Married, three kids, two off to school, uh, um, one left at home, so that's a little bit different for us uh, recently too. But um, yeah, God's been good. Well, that's wonderful. And again, just so great to have you on the show. I tell you what, uh, why don't we go ahead and begin our time together with prayer? And brother, if you would lead us in that prayer. Sure, sure. We pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, gracious Father, for, for thy strong word, for the word who is Jesus, uh, for the word which is our holy scriptures, for the words we share together in conversation today, we give you thanks. Use him, use them, use it to cleave the darkness, to open hearts, 
to open ears, to hear your good word, to hear your grace, which is life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last time we got together, we saw where Jesus called Levi or Matthew, and uh, Matthew had dinner with his uh, with his <laughs> buddies to introduce them to Jesus. We talked about that. Today, we pick up where we left off. So we got through the first six verses of Mark chapter three, but now we are going into the rest of the rest of chapter three. So just give me half a second here. I closed my Bible by accident. (laughs) So here we are. Now uh, I will read starting with verse 7. Jesus withdrew, withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he strictly ordered them to not make him known. Hmm. So a familiar scene, brother, with Jesus, uh, because of his reputation of having mercy on people with diseases and casting out demons, Jesus is drawing quite the crowds. And so take us through this text. Uh, The things that stand out to me, of course, are the fact that he has to be in a boat to address them, (laughs) but also um, the fact that he wants them to be quiet about who he is. Of course, the only reason they're there is because others were not quiet. Uh, so let's let's unpack that too for the people. But go ahead, brother. Starting at the top. Yeah, no, there there is so much things. Yeah, those things you've pointed out. Um, he's by the sea. We have these crowds. That's something we'll want to keep an eye on as we go through Mark. These these different groups. There's the close group of disciples, you know, soon to be apostles, and then there's those are with him, and then these these crowds, these people. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if you know as we read this. You can ask ourselves, which, which group do I see myself in? Am I the crowd? Am I the disciple? Of course, we're, we're all of those. And they're coming from everywhere. There's some foreshadowing there, um, not only the, of the, in the gospel itself, but then going out from there. Um, Galilee and Judea, you know, that's kind of maybe north, Jerusalem, Idumea in the south, beyond the Jordan, east, Tyre and Sidon, we're west. So it's, you know, this, this, they're, they're coming from everywhere, north, south, east and west. Not all Jewish lands as well. Some foreshadowing there. Because like you, you said, I love the, the, the language. It even comes across in the English because they heard all that he was doing. It's like uh, Jesus' actions preach. You know, there's, there's, yeah. they, they heard of his doings. There's, uh, um, and I'm sure as you, you, you pointed out there, and these Jesus' miracles and the things he's doing. I mean, he's not just some wonder worker or a wizard or a musician, but these are... These are actions which are connected to words. The first thing that Jesus does is he comes and he preaches. And then these miracles are confirming and pointing always back to the, uh, back to the, the preaching, the proclamation of the, the good news, the kingdom of God being at hand. So I love that kind of phrase that he, they heard what he was doing. Our actions, Jesus' actions, our own speak. Um, and then those, those unclean spirits. It's like, I know the, I think the first time when back in chapter one, when Jesus shows up in the, in the temple, um, or in the in the synagogue there uh, immediately, there's this a uh, man in an unclean spirit. It, it, I always kind of think that maybe the unclean spirit was always there, but he didn't speak up until Jesus showed up. It, it, it's like you know the the unclean spirits are in our churches, 
but they only start attacking when the, when the gospel is there, that our, yeah. our world is, is full of unclean spirits. But when Jesus shows up, the liberator shows up, the one bringing good news and life shows up, boom, then they start speaking up. <laughs> we could, I mean, and, and we can see that literally happening, but you can almost like say, man, yeah, right when, right when the gospel gets going, I start getting some traction, that's when, that's when the evil spirits speak up and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want to. We, we're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna try to uh, to get involved here, and then and and then the sense that they can't help but cry out to the Son of God, um, and then yeah, why not make him known? That's that's the question you brought up, Pastor. Right? You know why? I thought we're uh, you know you know Jesus. And primarily, and I, I just want to interject. Primarily, yeah, when he yeah. says he strictly ordered them not to make him known, he's talking about the demons. Yeah, so he's not yeah. necessarily talking about, you know, don't go tell people the miracles I'm doing, although yeah. he has done a little bit of that, too. Yeah. But he doesn't want this title, the son of God, attached to him yeah. too soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're too soon is right. That's the I mean, we know from the the, uh, you know, the title, the title verse of the of the whole gospel that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. We know we're going to get there. But I think that that too soon word is the. The, uh, the, exactly, the exactly right one, because who is this Jesus? Who is he at this point? What is he up to? He's a miracle worker. He's a preacher. But so often in the Gospel of Mark, the other Gospels as well, it's Jesus saying, not yet, silencing even those he's healed, silencing the demons. And we can see something about that. Maybe there's just some you know, pragmatic aspect of this, that these huge crowds are coming. We're told earlier he can't enter openly a city anymore. Um, that there's like, okay, let's keep this, you know, tamped down a little bit for now. But it's after Jesus begins in the middle of the gospel, starts the, the first passion and resurrection predictions to, to Peter and the gang about what he's really about. I'm not just a miracle worker. I am the Savior. I'm the one who's going to be handed over into the hands of men who will be beaten, who'll be crucified, and on the third day be raised up, be raised for the life of the world. And it's only then at that point, when we begin to see who Jesus fully is, that then Jesus is no longer saying, don't say who I am. So yeah, not yet. The time will come. The time will come when he'll send us all out. We send, he has sent us out. The time will come to proclaim that this is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But it's, it's not yet. Don't make him known yet. <laughs> We know that John the Baptist drew crowds from all of Jerusalem and Judea, and you already mentioned this earlier, but we see here that he, Jesus, is drawing a crowd from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and then it mentions uh, Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. So, you know, you have uh, Idumea, who is, which is very far south of Galilee, Tyre is far north. You have this broad spread of Jesus' message going out. I think that's significant. Talk a little bit more about that, why it's significant that Jesus' message is going really into ter territory that is, uh, is inhabited predominantly by non-Jews. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that's a, it's, it's certainly foreshadowing for what's going to happen, that we've seen so far in the gospel, um, Jesus coming, it's like, yeah, there's no, there's no birth narratives or anything. It's like, boom, Jesus is on the scene. The Holy Spirit throws him out into the wilderness. And then from day one, he is challenging all the, all the, the, the boundaries of the day. Like, who counts as clean and unclean? 
Um, who can be touched? Who cannot be touched? Who can forgive sins? Who, who, who controls the, the relationship of death for sins? What sort of person can be called, even a Levi? And so here we see Jesus beginning to challenge what is ultimately going to be, you know, blown apart, going to all the nations, that uh, the, the, the ethnic boundary of the people of Israel, that Jesus is he is the he is Israel reduced to one as we like to say but as God's Old Testament Israel as Romans 4 says that Abraham was called not to be an heir for a little chunk of the uh, the earth on the, the 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 eastern shore of the Mediterranean but Abraham was called Romans 4:13 I believe to be heir of the world that the one right. who comes to be the one Israelite Jesus is for the whole world and so you see yeah what are these crazy Idumeans? What do they have to do with this? And Tyre and Sidon, for crying out loud, who do they worship over there? Um, right. Of course, in chapter four, we're going to, we're going to, Jesus is going to start already. He goes across the, the Jordan, or it's, it's, yeah, I guess at the end of chapter four, right? Or maybe it's in chapter five. Yeah. Chapter five, he's going to be with that in the region of Gergesa. And I mean, where you can't be more Gentile than these dudes. I mean, in the tombs, naked with pigs. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is even there. So, Yeah. As you said, this is really just foreshadowing, so it's not really the main point of this text, but I want to dwell on it for half a second longer and just say that, you know, it was always God's plan to include all people. Many Christians, I think, unfortunately, fall into the temptation of thinking that us, we Gentiles, most of us who are Gentiles, uh, are uh, plan B, you know. Uh, They rejected me, so I had to go to the Gentiles, and I think that's such (laughs) an unfortunate uh, misconception. At the same time, the role of those who are sons of Abraham by blood or ethnic Jews, even that has a lot of confusion. And, you know, world events today are, are, mm. are making that confusion yeah, yeah. bubble to the surface. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You certainly see that, 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 that somehow God's that, that, that miss this, that the, the Israel, the God's people, Israel, um, that Israel's gone public in Jesus gone universal, as you know, Paul was saying in the Galatians, the Israel of God is the church of Jesus Christ. Um, the, the, those, I, those, those who are sons and daughters by faith in him. You said gone public. I'm trying to think of the IPO that was uh, <laughs> Israel. That's right. Now, now open to all people through faith. But, but even sure. we read in Romans and elsewhere, of course, the people yeah. of Israel are those who uh, have trust in the promise. And so Christ yeah. came to fulfill yeah. that promise. Well, let's move on into verse sure, 13. Yeah. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right, just pausing right there. First of all, you know, Judas always gets that who betrayed him. You got to throw it in. (laughs) Mark doesn't even want to let the story sink in before he reminds you of this, which I think indicates that the people who are reading Mark a lot of the time they know the whole story just like us. You know, not everybody who's hearing it, I should say, during the time in which it was written is the first time they've ever heard it. But even if it was, Judas gets this um, this sort of forever moniker of being the one who betrayed Christ. 
But I got to tell you, as many times as, I, as I've read Mark and Matthew and Luke, I, I, I don't think I've ever noticed this until this very moment where it says, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. Now, I know that the, we, we in the church have defined apostle to be pretty specific so that we know who can be called an apostle and who can't. That, def, that definition often includes having to actually have lived and walked with Jesus. So there are new, no new apostles, despite what some preachers like to call themselves. But I thought it was interesting that he's the one who named them apostles. Now, the term apostle, that's a, that's a borrowed term from something else. Could you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, right. That's the um, the uh, the the apostles are the the what, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Is it the shiliach? Is that the word I'm looking for from the 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 Hebrew term of the of the one who sent out, who goes out as the ambassador, who speaks in the in the name and the place of the one who who sends him. Um, this 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 powerful word uh, apostello literally means one who is who is sent out. Um, in, in, the, in, the, in the place and in the stead, by the command, we might kind of say in some of our language, um, of the yeah, of Shalia the is that word yeah, that Shalia. you were looking for. Yeah, yeah you got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that kind of ambassador, ambassador language, just listening to something the other day, I didn't realize this, that um, I don't know if this is true, like in, uh, you know, whatever, international law or whatever, but um, that wherever an ambassador is standing, it's understood that they are standing on the soil of their home country. So if the French ambassador is standing in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, for legal purposes, he is standing on um, French territory. So I never understood, I don't know if that's the case or not before, I thought it was an interesting thing, some commentator was talking about that. It's an interesting thing to think about in terms of this Shaliak ambassador, um, uh, apostle sort of language, you know, that, that when these apostles go out, wherever they go, you know, they go out as residents of the kingdom of God. That wherever the whatever the apostle goes out, they go out not only with the words and the authority of the one who sent them, but they bring, they bring the promised land. They bring the they bring the kingdom with them. Um, it's a powerful image there to think of these these apostles. And uh, I like I like the way that I never noticed that either. That he names them apostles. Yeah, and I, and, and I don't know why I've just always skipped over that. I just assumed yeah. we started the church or someone started calling them apostles yeah. or Paul somewhere yeah. just started it. But no, he wants them to be people who are, as you said, ambassadors, people yeah. who are sent with a message to a people. And, and I think that's also really important. It also borrows language from seafaring where you're delivering something. So you have this idea that okay. he's giving them a message and the message has to go to a specific people. Of course, in this case, it's everybody. But still, yeah. he gives yeah. them that authority to preach and to cast out demons. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed the connection here to Moses, though, right? So if you think about yeah. Exodus chapter 24, sure. ex, uh, yeah. Moses heads up and calls the leaders of the tribal leaders yeah, to join him on Mount Sinai. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mountains, the place of, of uh, uh, Tabor, the same way we'll get later. It's the mountains become the place where God calls, where he, he calls and teaches. He calls and instructs and then, and then sends that. And, and, and of course, it's how many apostles is it? It's 12 apostles. It wasn't just he sent out. It could have been anywhere between looking for 10 to 15 new employees. And he happened to settle <laughs> on 12. But 12 is very specific, right? It's, it's the new Israel. It's the Israel as we spoke before, as, as intended by God to be the light for the Gentiles, for the light for the whole world that would be sent out, 
that God is making for himself this, this new Israel, these new 12. And, and I love that. I mean, I'm still stuck because, you know, later in the text, in a few verses, um, I usually like to point out that Jesus gives uh, three other names. He, he gives nicknames, so to say, to, uh, to Simon. He nicknames him Peter. And then to James and John, the, the sons of thunder, Boangeries, that he gives them names. And I'd never noticed before, like, you just, this is great, that um, the things you learn um, from thy strong word, that, this, this, that Jesus specifically, it's kind of a, almost a little nickname tag. Like, you know, sometimes he calls them little, little faiths. That's, that's another nickname for him. But he says, they're, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're apostles. That's the, and and, and this, this thing, too, I was just looking at this as well. It's the sending. But notice what he says right after. He, he, he named them apostles so that they might be with him mm. and that he might send them. You know, sometimes in the church we get into these ridiculous arguments. Um, I've been parted to them. You know, Lord have mercy. You know, like what, what's more, what's most important? Is it the teaching or is it the evangelism? You know, is it, is it, is it the message or getting the message out? And, you know, I say it's ridiculous. You know, it's a, it's a false alternative and we see yeah. it right here. Be with Jesus, learn with Jesus, uh, know his teaching, know his love, know your doctrine. I want to say, <laughs> know the message and then going out that it's always the same. Like whenever, you know, the saint of doctor was a Dr. Barry's thing, you know, get the message straight, get the message out. I can't remember if that was him or one of our, one of other, our, our uh, like synodical him. people. Yeah. It's not, it's not one of those things, but when you, 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 the first thing you think apostle, oh yeah, it's the sent out, but it's almost as if to say, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't just go out with nothing. You know, don't just go out with any old message. First be with Jesus, then yeah. go out. And maybe there's that it, rhythm, being with Jesus and going out, being with Jesus, going out. Maybe it's our weekly divine service, being with Jesus, going out, being with Jesus. Um, yes, this, this, this rhythm of with and sending, with and sending. That's the benefit of reading, you know, things nice and slow because, and that's also the advantage, folks, of when you're like learning Greek. You know, I, I've learned Greek enough to fake it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not an expert Greek scholar. But what's great about returning to the Greek really is it really has less to do with the original language and more to do with the right. fact you're just slowing down. Absolutely. And, and so yeah. I, this is another you bring up a very good point so that they might be with him and that he might send them. I think that gets skipped over a lot. Yeah. Well, he gives yeah. them the names. He, he calls Peter. Uh, he calls Simon Peter, you know, rock, Rocky. He calls uh, he calls these other folks some other names. And, you know, it also shows that he knows them. Hmm. Judas doesn't, some of them didn't get other names. Judas is one of them. Um, you have to imagine, of course, Jesus knows what's going to happen. And so here he is sending Judas out and in his heart, he knows. And I think that's just something to sort of dwell on for half a second, that knowing what's going to happen, he still calls Judas. But then verse 20, and, and we see Jesus really is having some trouble here. He goes home. But the crowd gathered again, it says, so that they, that's I guess everybody, could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. So he goes home, not exactly sure where home is, um, maybe with his family. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you can enlighten us. But at the same time, the crowds, they just, they want more and more of this, this incarnate um, mercy, that they, they want to be healed of their diseases. They want their demons cast out. Uh, and, and 
Is it all selfish motivation? Well, I tell you what, you know, you be afflicted with a demon, you be afflicted with a debilitating disease and and say it's selfish. It's not. It, it, it they, they, they know that he can provide this. Do they know all the ins and outs? Do they really even know who he is? No, but they're going to him and they're having that opportunity. And yet his family, they just seem to get frustrated with all the commotion and they say he's out of his mind. Uh, that's an interesting, um, interesting little a uh, 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 situation here. The Greek idiom is uh, the ones from his side. So it may not necessarily be his family, but it probably is. But take us through this little part as we get ready for a break. Yeah, yeah. You point out the the home. I don't think no specifically. I think maybe from early in the gospel was was his home, Peter's home. That's the other. I mean, I think it's literally he came into the house. Um, uh, and so he's up in up in Capernaum. You know, you have you have the opportunity to to go there. You can still visit the big you know chapel built over Peter's house. It kind of seems to be Jesus Jesus home base. But yeah, I, I love what you said, Pastor. That these people they might not quite get it all, but they know there is life here. They know that there's something different here. He's one who teaches with authority. There's something different. It's the physical healing, and I mean. Uh, even more so in that day, you know, when the, the great majority of these crowds are day laborers, when you have a withered hand and you're a day laborer, you're worthless. I mean, there's, 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 not, there's not others. You're, you're, a, um, you're a ward of whoever will, will care for you. That the, the dire need of folks who are not only, you know, physically, but also then economically, socially, religiously considered on the outside, that they see in Jesus one who crosses over those boundaries, who gives them healing and restoration and fullness. And so, yeah, even if they don't get it all right, I mean, heck, do any of us get it all right? Answers, no, we're, we're, we're striving to and seeking that, that deeper understanding. Um, but they know they're, they're drawn to Jesus just to, just to touch him. I mean, again, maybe they don't get it quite right. Like, you know, if it's, it's the Jesus is, if I just touch him, it's like some kind of magical thing. Um, but they, yeah, they, they see life there. And then the family, right? <laughs> this is we're going to see that later, later in the chapter as well. That these the, the family members they they're trying to, where does that come from? Is mixed motives as motives usually are? Is is there part of them which is um, you're going to get yourself killed, Jesus? Mm-hmm. You can't just go, you know, challenging every single authority, synagogue, Pharisees, Herodians. Come on, man, we love you. Um, we this mobs go nuts you're going to get yourself hurt um there's maybe that maybe you know better angels kind of motive other side of it is you know he's a part of our family if things <laughs> you know turn south for him maybe they're going to turn south for us as well it was kind of nice to have like you know a little bit of a uh, a superstar son but this is just getting out of hand let's just let's just go back um yeah that we 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 see um Again, it's the even the family itself is going to be uh, um, challenged. So as yeah. you say, and, I, and I, you're absolutely right. We can't understand their motives, but it could be either way. You know, I, I think a good construction on it is they're concerned about him. I think yeah. a more realistic construction is a little bit of both because yeah. you know typically yeah. political reprisal, especially from the Romans, didn't just end yeah. with the person who was causing the problem. Oh, you great. know, they're going to go in yeah. and wipe out everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah, I tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, we're actually up against a break, so we're going to take that yes, break. Yes. But when we come back, we're going to see that Jesus's his uh, his expanding influence is going to cause him problems with authorities outside of his area. We'll find out more. Come back later. 
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend Ben Mayton, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we're talking about the Gospel of Mark. Before we head back into our text, I just want to remind you again that if you have any feedback, questions, or comments, feel free to reach out. Email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook. You can even call into the studio, 1-800-730-2727. Any of these methods can get your question or comment out on the air. All right, Pastor. Well, we talked about how Jesus's I was getting panicked by the uh, by the break music, but Jesus's spreading fame is is causing some problems for him, right? Because people want to come and everybody wants to to if not just see or hear from this miracle worker or this this man who has this great wisdom, but also receive his benefits and his gifts. But it also causes those who are in authority, even outside, say Jerusalem. I'm sorry, outside of his area, I'm sorry, outside Galilee, it causes them to come and challenge Jesus too. And that's what happens next. This is the first time that someone has come from beyond Galilee's borders to confront Jesus, starting with verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him. And he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whatever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, pardon me, whoever, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Okay, so this is our text, 22 through 30. So scribes come down from Jerusalem, and they basically just say that Jesus is, is, is doing all of his work by Satan. Take us through this. Yeah, no, I, that, that's the great point that this is the, uh, it's the big wigs now that this is getting serious. Um, the folks from, uh, you know, from uh, in, my, in my district, Northern Virginia, or, you know, if things get really bad, they're going to send, the, uh, they're gonna send the, uh, the, the folks from St. Louis out to check on me and make sure that I'm not, <laughs> uh, not causing too much trouble. Yeah, somehow word has gotten back uh, down to Jerusalem that this is more than the locals could handle. And it sounds like they kind of just come down with the ruling, right? Um, the scribes, they, can't, they don't say it to Jesus. They're just saying it in general. It's like, okay, folks, um, we're, we're here to tell you what is actually going on. What we have here is a dude possessed by the devil. 
Um, they give him the nickname uh, Beelzebul, the, uh, um, if you know the folks know, like from their, their Old Testament, the Baals, the Baals. It's just the, the word which means Lord or Master. And Zebul maybe means something like exalted. So the Baal Zebul or the Beelzebul is the, the, uh, the exalted Master, the exalted Lord, which was like, was an actual God at one time. This kind of becomes a, in Jesus' day, a, a name or nickname for the, the prince of demons, for the, for the devil. And they're saying, you know what? We've, we, we're, we're here to tell you what is really going on. The devil's got a hold of this guy. So you guys can just go back to your homes, go back to doing things the way everything had been done before. We'll take care. We'll take care of this fella. Um, now, yeah, they Jesus, definitely were thinking yeah. of ways to spin this. They didn't yeah. come down to investigate. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, I can no imagine questions. them. Yeah, I can imagine them either on the way or before they left, saying, "Okay, well, now, what are we going to say when we get there?" And it's like, "Oh, yeah, I got it. Right, we're just going to get yeah. there. First thing out of our mouth, this guy is basically Satan. Just stay away from him." I, yeah, disparaging his character without even seeing for themselves what's going on—that continues today. No, absolutely. That's, that that kind of seems there's there's this kind of some character assassination kind of guilt by association i mean depending what group you were in you can just say oh he's just a commie um you can forget him or he's right. he's woke he's a fundy <laughs> and say oh and and to reduce a person to that without actually looking in to what is actually being said who the person is yeah you're right in our in our sinfulness and our own insecurities we do this very thing is there can i can i dismiss a person by just associating them with something which as you know you know, oh, he's just a Nazi. These these sorts of these sorts of things. It's easier than um, countering their actual words, ideas, and actions just to ex- disparage them. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And uh, and of course, Jesus is going to say, "Well, not so fast." <laughs> you know, <laughs> say, "Let's let's let's think about this for a second. I mean, this is the way I, I kind of read it, anyways. Like, so you're telling me, let's. And it's interesting too. He teaches them in parables, which mm-hmm. of course he's really going to get. That's going we're going to find out that parables are his favorite way of teaching when we get into the next chapter. Um, in coming days, you guys do uh, that. That let, let me get this straight. So, uh, Satan, how can Satan cast out Satan? So you say I'm working for Satan, but then I'm casting out Satan. Everyone knows, like you know, if a kingdom is fighting against itself, if a house is divided against itself, if you know, if I'm punching myself in the face, eventually I'm going to knock myself out. That, that it doesn't work that way. If it's if that's what's going on, then Satan really is on the way out. You don't need me at all. We don't need you either. But so to say, but that's not what going, is going on. Satan is alive and active. The demonic powers, you've seen this in Jesus' ministry, are there. And because that's not the case, because Satan is not divided against Satan, because Satan has a one-track mind to destroy all the good things of God and of life and of love and of grace, because of that, a greater one, you know, John the Baptist says, the stronger one's coming. The stronger one needs come and, and bind the Satan. Um, and so he, he uses this kind of like, uh, uh, let me look into the logic of what you're saying here. Hold on a well, second. I was, getting, I was getting ready to say, I mean, I know Jesus teaches in parables, but I yeah. almost really think this is more of a Jesus just saying, you know what you're saying doesn't even make sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I were Satan, I, I would be, why would I go around healing people? Why would I go around proclaiming the glories of God? Um, so, yeah, but yeah, but again, Jesus likes to use parables because— well, as we'll learn later, as you've already illustrated, you know, it it veils the message from those who have hardened their hearts. Um, yeah. And, you know, more than that, it's a little hard for us to speculate. But then he gets into this 
and this is really troublesome for some people. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. But then he, but then it says here, Mark comments, he says, he says this because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now I can tell you that growing up down south, uh, outside the Lutheran church, this was a big deal. And there also was a time, and I don't know if this was the early 2000s or what, but kind of right after YouTube had started or maybe a decade or so in, people were going online, very edgy, and they were all videotaping themselves blaspheming the Holy Spirit as a mockery <laughs> of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I just remember that going on. But anyway, I, I remember it because as a new pastor, people were bringing it up in the congregation. What does it really mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Have I ever accidentally done it and therefore never (laughs) have forgiveness? So I I think it's a good idea for us to focus for just a little bit on what does that mean? You know, bus is Yeah, no, yeah, that that is always like, it's like, okay, you you can read this. It's like, okay, God's all about forgiveness and, you know, there's grace, you know, cannot send God's forgiveness and all this stuff. But like, there's a little asterisk, like, you know, um, to accept this one, like, you know, in the stead and by the command of, of Christ and by his authority, I forgive all, well, except, you know, your sins sort of thing. <laughs> and, 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 and it does cause people anxiety. Have I committed this one? Is this the one? I was, um, is the sin against the Holy Spirit, is it the unforgivable sin? I, I, I do a little Bible class at our local jail on the weeks, and we were going through this very text not long ago where a, a parallel with the other Gospels, and they're thinking, is this, if someone takes their own life, is that the, is that the, the unforgivable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit? Um, but I think if you look in the context here, it's saying, I think we can actually see there are some other blasphemies going on. We might say that Jesus' own family that we mentioned at the end of, uh, or in, in, in verse 20 there, um, that, that's, that's a blasphemy of sorts, that they don't get who Jesus is, that they're, 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 they're not understanding it at all. And that's the sort of blasphemy, the sort of derisive language that, yeah, that's going to be forgiven. You, 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 you family, you're going to, you, you'll come around, we can, this is be forgiven. But the sin of, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, we know from the Gospel of Mark, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes into Jesus at his baptism and throws him out in the wilderness and is the one empowering his ministry. So to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to say that everything which Jesus has been up to, healing, exercising, primarily preaching the gospel of the kingdom and forgiving sins, to look at that and say, that is not God, that is not holy. To call the forgiveness of sins uh, an unholy act, I would say that that is the, 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 the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Or maybe to bring it this way, that absolution that I used, and um, to say, you know, so this glorious way, I love the way, you know, uh, uh, most Lutherans anyway begin their services with this confession and absolution. We get God's name on us in the invocation. We confess our sins. And then... Uh, the pastor has the privilege of, of standing up and saying, you know, Almighty God in His mercy has given a son to die for you and for His sake forgives you all your sins. It's a call and ordained servant of Christ, so therefore I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the congregation has the privilege um, to speak the word of faith there to say, Amen. But should God forbid someone say, No thanks. I don't need God's forgiveness. That's not God's forgiveness. Right. I would say that would be the sin against the Holy Spirit. 
And you'll notice too in the text there, it doesn't say this is not forgiven. Explicitly, he says, he who um, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. It's like, the, to, it's, it's because to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is almost literally say, I don't want it. <laughs> and that the, 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 the forgiveness never rests on you. You never have the peace. You know, so we're, we're, we're coming up on, on Reformation here, you know, 95 Theses and all that. You know, don't need to buy your forgiveness with an indulgence and all that jazz. But I would say that there's a, a, there's a, a sense of a, a kind of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So as to say, when Jesus comes with the full and free and forgiveness of sins, um, to say, no thanks, I'll purchase it instead. That is, that's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because that's saying, I don't want God's free forgiveness. I'll do it on my own. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of kind of went on for a while there. Or, or the- no, that's perfect though. I, j- I just want to add to the conversation that that blaspheming, just for the folks who maybe have yeah, never really yeah. just defined it, blaspheme. And correct me if you if you want to nuance it, but it really is basically re- denying the divinity or the power that is due God. So to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is essentially to say. The Holy Spirit is unable to forgive my sins, or yeah. there is no Holy Spirit that can forgive my sins, or yeah. even my sins are so great that the Holy Spirit, you know, w- is unable to forgive them. Even that is a type of blasphemy. And yeah. here, it, it kind of relates to Acts. We we did the Book of Acts not too long ago, chapter mm-hmm. seven, verse fifty-one. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So always resisting the Holy Spirit's forgiveness is basically, I guess to put it in some crass terms, if somebody walks up to you and wants to give you a $100 bill and you go, no thanks, well, then you don't get the benefits of that $100 bill. Pretty, That was easy. I mean, you don't get it. Uh, You didn't have to do anything for it. He's willing to give it to you. You just just said no. And so you're not going to get it. And therefore, you're never going to have that $100 because you keep resisting it. yeah. Maybe that's a little simplistic, but that's how I see it. I, and I also I mean, tell I think, people, yeah. oh, I just want one more thing. I also yeah. add that if you feel like you've sinned against the Holy Spirit and you're feeling guilty about it, then you haven't <laughs> because yeah. because right. that just means the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. But anyway, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead, brother. No, I think that, that's exactly what I was going to say, that, that sort of thing. That's, that, that's this, if I'm wondering whether I'm worthy of this forgiveness or I'm anxious about it, that, yeah, that, that itself is is the is the evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit. And I, yeah, I think it's, it's very much these, the, the, I mean, what, what's the Holy, we know from our, from our, our catechism, what's the Holy Spirit? He's calling, he's gathering, he's lightning, he's sanctifying. When you call God, the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel, calling sinners, gathering, enlightening that, when you, when you name that, because like it says here, when you name that an unclean spirit, because that's the little, the byline, why, why is Jesus saying this? Because um, they were saying he has an unclean spirit. When you call the very life-giving works of God, when you name that unclean and of the devil, that's, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, the other, we have this, you know, beautiful in our, our, uh, in, in, our, in our tradition, the opportunity for individuals to confess their sins. And one of the, one of the lines in the individual confession and absolution after the penitent has, has confessed before their pastor to confess their um, the pastor is instructed to say, um, uh, what is it? Do you believe my forgiveness is not my forgiveness, but God's forgiveness? And should a person say, no, I don't believe that, that would be another instance of 
blaspheming the Holy Spirit. To say that the one whom God has placed there to speak the words of life, whether it be a pastor or in the mutual consolation of the, of the brothers and sisters, to say that that forgiveness is not God's. <laughs> That's to say, no thanks to the Holy Spirit. Keep your hundred bucks. Which, of course, <laughs> is to, to say this, because it goes on to say someone who's guilty of an eternal sin. It means that the ramifications of that go on, but doesn't mean it's like a one-chance thing, right? Right, so you, right. You get that wrong as well. Well, you, had, you know, when you were 17, the, you know, someone preached the gospel to you, and you were, you know, too busy chasing girls or something, so you didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't find Jesus then, and that was your one shot. No. I mean, Jesus is going over and over and over. That you don't have the forgiveness now, you've resisted. Um, but when it's received, when faith is finally able to say, Amen. <laughs> then, then, then that uh, that sin, along with the rest, is 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 forgiven. So, yeah. Persistent, willful, malicious rejection, uh, and, and I think yeah. so. Can you can you repent of blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. You can stop doing it. Uh, you can stop doing it. Of course, by the time a person is where they're so, I guess, um, egregiously rejecting. Christ and the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness, and they don't feel bad for their sins, that that really takes a, a work of the Holy Spirit to bring them back. But God doesn't abandon them. I think it's yeah. just emphasizing the perpetualness of it. So long as you yeah. continue to reject the forgiveness, then God, I'm sure, laments, but is is it's his will not to give it to you then if you don't want it. He doesn't force his grace upon anyone, despite what some of our Calvinist friends might say. Yeah, yeah, no, right, and and it's a, it's a, but the, the consistent offer is there, and, and that's that's Jesus in the Gospels. I mean, the you know if as you work your way through the Gospel of Mark, you, you could ask yourself, you know, who is or at least is close to committing this sin? Because by the end, everybody is de is is deserting Jesus, right? I mean, no one is recognizing that who he is and what he's doing is from God, and to some sense, they're they're abandoning him. But Jesus says that's not enough. I'm going to come back proclaim peace and continue preaching the gospel of grace and forgiveness until those hard hearts, those hard hearts are, are broken open to receive me. Because um, he wants everyone to have forgiveness. So. Earlier, the text said that those who were close to him came and they were trying to, they said that he was, you know, out of his mind. Uh, the yeah. specific verse is verse 21. And when his family is the way they translate it, it really just means we're close to him, heard it, yeah, yeah. they went out to seize him. Well, now, at, as we finish up our text with verse 31, his mother and his brothers come. So they evidently were not among those who were close to him that came earlier. So let's yeah. read that. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And that ends our text. It ends chapter 3 also. So this is a little bit of a confusing statement. I think in retrospect of 2,000 years of study, we have a good grasp on it. But I'm just trying to put myself in the place of those sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and they just say, hey, Jesus, your mom's here. That's, I mean, they're not, they're not saying, you know, Jesus, uh, um, you know, you, you need to quit talking. You just, they just, hey, listen, your, your mom's here and your brothers, they're outside. They're looking for you. And then Jesus just says, 
you are my brothers, my mother, my sister. Uh, why? <laughs> what is he talking about? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned in the in the, the, the culture as well. I mean, our our families are are important to us, uh, and it's it's still true. I mean, maybe with you know changes of emphases and things like that. But but one's family was. Um, that was everything, right? That was your history. That was your future. That was um, your 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 safety net. That was your, um, you know, d- determine who you were going to marry. All your different connections for Jesus. Um, to even challenge that most um, seemingly most significant determiner of identity, and uh, yeah, it does it does you know kind of we might overplay the kind of. I mean, is Jesus dissing his, his family here? Um, I mean, they, they are presented on the outside, that even those who think it's a thing that happens in Mark a lot, right, that those who think should be on the inside turn out being on the outside, that those are the ones on the outside. I, I almost gather from this, like, you know, maybe Jesus has a moment. There's, you know, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about, there's a real strong sense of this in this, this looking about word that he looks about, like, I almost say like pausing and looking around at these people here, this hodgepodge group of people, maybe people, um, given the sort of things we've heard about who they are, maybe the sort of people um, who didn't have those family connections. If these were the folks who were the, mm-hmm. the, uh, those who had the sicknesses and the diseases and the leprosies and the demon possessions, didn't have those family connections. But Jesus looks with intent and says, you know what? You know who my family is? It's these who are around me, who are trusting my word, who are hearing my words, who are saying their amens to you are forgiven. It's so as to say, it's not either or, like I'm dissing the rest of my family, but perhaps it's to say, you know what is your most fundamental identity? Up to this point, you might've thought it was, you know, who your mother, your brothers were, but your most fundamental identity comes from your attachment to me. And if any other, if your family goes bad, Man, not every family's not everyone's got a great family. It's uh, and there's there's maybe no greater pain than that. But Jesus says to you, He says to me, He says to everyone listening, you know what? Even when all those other identifiers go south, you are mine. You're my child. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my mother. He doesn't say you're my father. Why? Because we <laughs> have one father, the one to whom we pray with Jesus, our Father. So I, I just, yeah. I don't think, well, I know that Jesus is not disrespecting his mother because yeah, he follows right, yeah. the fourth commandment. Right, yeah, right, but, yeah. but at the same time, I don't think this is even a slight on his family. We see mm. Jesus do this all the time, and we're going to see this in the next chapter where Jesus is near the sea. He's near the shore, and mustard seeds, mustard trees grow near the shore. And, mm. and you can really even read it in Mark. He, he looks around him. So he's talking to them and he just sort of looks around and you get the sense that he grabs a glimpse of a mustard tree and goes, oh, hey, hey, the mustard seed. Let me tell you about this. Uh, (laughs) You know, he's more eloquent than I am. But, you know, we do that, too. We're just we're trying to think of right here on the radio. We're trying to think of examples to help make it clear. Jesus is doing that, too. So I think Jesus is teaching the people. Not that your analysis isn't true. It is absolutely. But I also think there's part of it that they're like. Hey, hey, your your mother, your mom's here and your brothers are here. And it just sparks in his mind just what yeah. you were saying. Let me tell yeah. you about family. Let me tell you yeah. about mothers and brothers. Mm-hmm. Because everybody would expect that he would dismiss them in order to mm-hmm. obviously go honor his family or even nepotistically 
you know, well, my family's more important than you. And it's not that they aren't important, but that it's just what you said, which was really great. And I'm reflecting on it. It's that, you know, my family, they're no more important than you because I'm here for all people. And I think that's a powerful message. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that reading that Jesus, um, the greatest of preachers, you know, the word made flesh never misses an opportunity um, to preach the gospel. So yeah. any little question that comes up, I mean, I mean, you know, God give us those sort of imaginations which are so flushed with the gospel and the awareness of his presence that we can't, that when we're walking down the road and we see a, you know, a scrubby plant, mustard seed, that, that that's a sermon, you know, that, you know, when I'm, I'm stuck in traffic, that's a sermon. I mean, great preachers do this anyway, right? We, That'll we, preach, we you know, that's what I always exactly. say. Like, yeah. that, exactly. For Jesus, that's a great way to put it. For Jesus, um, who is he who through whom everything that is came to be, that for Jesus, everything preaches. You can almost see him, ask me a question, I'll turn it into the gospel. So someone says, hey, mom and your brothers are looking for you. Like, like you said, beautifully, like, you know, I would have said, oh, time to go. You know, I got to go. Mom's calling, you know, she gets upset if I'm not there in time for dinner. Jesus says, one second. That's a, I'm, I'm going to use that to preach the gospel. I mean, maybe, right. maybe, maybe there's a nugget for, for listeners to think of, you know, wherever you're in the room right now, whoever you're with, when you leave wherever you are, you know, look around and say, what around me right now preaches the gospel? Um, and you can find something. It's all there. Yeah. What a twist. You just said that. And it, what it brought to my mind is uh, some of these people who are like, you know, if you if, if you had to use something as a weapon right now that's within arm's range, <laughs> right. what would you use? And of course, I'm looking around. I guess I'd probably this big, heavy uh, RE20 sure. microphone that I'm talking into. Okay, but, right. but Jesus, he looks around and says, what could I use to save people? What could I use to help people? What could I use to love people? So I love that you said that. You just get, that's, that's, you just, I'm going to use that in confirmation class now because, you know, special, especially not only boys, girls, too, are going to love thinking of things to be weapons. Uh, okay, guys, <laughs> what can we use in this room to be weapons? And they'll go crazy. And then the next thing will be, okay, we've done that. What can we use in this room to preach the gospel? And so, yeah, I'm, I love that. I'm literally going to use it tonight, too. That's, <laughs> okay. it's, it's, it's called the... Uh, yeah, it's called the Maton method. Um, okay, so, all right, yeah. all right. Well, the Jesus method, how about that? So, right. Oh, it's even better. Well, brother, we're here yeah. at the end of the show. I, I want to give you the last couple of minutes and uh, before we say goodbye. Yeah, no, just what a, what, a, what wonderful text. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, Pastor, it's a, it's a gift to, to read and study these in community, the way we slow down to pick up on those, on those, those little details, which of course, um, when it's Mark and the Holy Spirit, you know, writing this, there are, there are no, there are no little details that an apostle is sent to one who's not just sent out, but he's one who's, who's with Jesus, that Jesus knows these names. He knows, uh, he knows my name. Um, this one of this, this Jesus who, um, who so wants everyone, wants me to have forgiveness and won't stop um, until, until all have forgiveness. The, the great comfort um, to know that whatever my other relationships, even the closest ones of a family, might be challenged or challenging um, to know that in Jesus, I have a brother, um, I have a friend, uh, who loves me. He loves me no matter what. It's, uh, uh, it's beautiful, beautiful stuff. You have a good, that's where we'll, yeah, that's what where we'll opportunity it. to study this. Yeah. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Ben Maton, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran church in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks brother for being on the show. All right. Thank you, pastor. God be with you.
Folks, tomorrow we're going to pick up with Mark chapter 4. Jesus teaches in parables again, but this time to crowds by the sea. And he relates the parable of the sower, the lamp on the stand, the growing seed, and the mustard seed, which we just touched on. He also explains the purpose of parables to his disciples, and he interprets for them the parable of the sower, which I think, like the Lord's Prayer, helps us to interpret all parables. So I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong work.